Take your Bibles this morning. Let's go to Colossians, Colossians chapter 2. We're continuing our study through the book of Colossians. And uh, we'll probably take a break. Uh, we're kind of getting into the holidays. And um, usually the first of the year we'll do some topical series. And so we may take a break from this. Um, we're about halfway through the book. And so uh, we'll see. We'll see uh, how things unfold. Pray for that direction. Uh, and leadership of the Holy Spirit as we uh, seek to um, honor Him by the teaching of His Word. And so, uh, anyway, we find ourselves this morning in Colossians chapter 2, and we're going to be looking at verses 16 through 23. And so let's, uh, let's go ahead and take a, take a look here uh, in the Word of God this morning. Colossians chapter 2, verse 16. So let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbaths, which are a shadow of things to come. But the substance is of Christ. Let no one cheat you of your reward, taking delight in false humility and worship of angels, intruding into those things which he has not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind, and not holding fast to the head, from whom all the body, nourished and knit together by joints and ligaments, grows with the increase that is from God. Therefore, if you died with Christ from the basic principles of the world, why as though living in the world do you subject yourselves to regulations? Do not touch, do not taste, do not handle, which all concern things which perish with the using, according to the commandments and doctrines of men. These things indeed have an appearance of wisdom in self-imposed religion, false humility, and neglect of the body, but are of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. Father, I pray this morning that you will give me clarity of thought. I pray that the Holy Spirit will use me, Lord, this morning. Search me, try me, consume all my darkness. Lord, that I would be a clean vessel for your namesake. Lord, I pray for the listening audience, wherever they may be, whether they're watching via the live feed or listening to a podcast in some part of the world or sitting right here in the congregation this morning. Lord, give us ears to hear. You be our teacher this morning. Lord, we need to hear from you. I pray that we would not uh, twist the Scriptures to justify ourselves, but instead, Lord, we would simply be a student at the feet of our teacher, ready to receive instruction. Change us. Transform us from within. 
And may it be done for your namesake. In the precious name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. You probably uh, heard the expression red herring. Anybody ever heard the, the term, well, that's a red herring? Anybody ever heard that before? Raise your hand, don't be shy. We're, you know, unless you didn't put on your D.O. this morning, then keep it down. We've all heard probably the, the phrase red herring. Curious, raise, a hand, raise your hand. Now, don't, don't raise your hand if you don't know. I'd be lying. <laughs> we don't do that. But raise your hand if you know what that phrase means, where it, well, not where it comes from. What's its origin? Do you know the origin of the red herring? I may ask you to explain it if you raise your hand. Okay, I may not ask you to. Now I know you're not going to raise your hand. Well, I, I didn't realize, and, and here is, is what red herring, the term, what, where it came from. So, this term, red herring, was coined from a method of training hunting dogs. It comes from a, a, a phrase, a, a, it was a method used to train hunting dogs to follow the scent of their prey. Once the dogs were following the proper scent, they're on the trail, what would happen is the owners, to train the dogs, they would go in front of the trail and take what are called Red herrings, anybody know what a herring is? Yeah, stinky fish. Stinky fish. I know you Eastern North Carolina folks know what those stinky fish. Would you, would you, a uh, little shrimp, or was it the uh, fish stew? Yeah, fish stew. I remember moving down here, and that's one of the first things everybody in the East hit me up with. You had some fish stew yet? No, sir. <laughs> oh, you've got to have some fish stew, man. You've got to have some fish stew. I'm like, all right, hey, I'll eat anything. I eat raw fish, bro. Bring it on. Bring it on. Oh, my soul. Now, I can talk about them. They're not here right now, but uh, <laughs> I, no, I won't do it. But anyway, a, a nice couple, good intentions, brought me some homemade fish stew. Woo! Let's just say a few spoonfuls went in my stomach. The rest went in that ditch out there, <laughs> which probably explains all the stray dogs around. Anyway, sorry, Nate. Um, so here's what they would do. These, these dogs, to train them, they would be on the trail and they'd be on the scent. And so the, the owners would take these stinky fish and they would pull them across the path. And initially, the dogs would be diverted by the scent of the herring. They had to be trained to ignore that scent and instead stay focused on the scent of their prey. So a red herring is something that is introduced which diverts our attention from what we should be pursuing. And this is what Paul is talking about in Colossians. These false teachers are trying to take a little stinky fish across your trail. They're trying to divert you. And we've got to stay focused. Right? Christ is to have preeminence. Eyes on Christ. Focus on Christ. Straight ahead, right? And the enemy is going to throw all kinds of things to divert us from the truth. And so Paul's writing, and we've talked about this, 
he's trying to address the, the red herrings, if you will, the, the, the legalism of the Pharisees, the Judaizers, the Judaism that was trying to be creeping, creeping into church. Oh, yeah, you got Jesus, that's great, but you need to be circumcised. The mysticism. Oh, yes, if you really want to go to the next spiritual level, you know, you need to worship angels. Have you been introduced to your personal angel? I mean, I, I, don't, I don't know all the exacts of, of uh, but angels were revered in that culture in that day, and especially in that, in that region. Mysticism was a big thing. Gnosticism, again, higher secret knowledge. You really want to be spiritual? Well, we, we've got the secret handshake to get you there, you know, kind of thing. And, and again, we look back on this, and, and, and it seems, you know, that's, it's kind of strange, but, but and asceticism, you know, the self uh, just the deprecation of, 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 of denying things or, or, or bringing self into subjection is somehow that's going to get me closer to God. But in our day, it's still going on. We talked about this last week. Paul says, if any man preaches another gospel, let him be accursed. There's a lot of other gospels that are creeping in and have crept into the church that are red herrings. Oh, you've got Jesus, that's great, but have you got the second gift? That's the same thing Paul's addressing in this letter, these type things. Oh, you need the secret knowledge. And so Paul is warning the reader, be careful about these things that are taking you away from grace alone, faith alone, and Christ alone. It's all Him, guys. It's all about Him. He is to have preeminence. He's to have preeminence not only in our salvation, He's to have preeminence in our sanctification, because He's going to have preeminence in our glorification. Amen? And so we've got to understand this. And guys, a lot of us in the Bible-believing South, I'm one of them, we grew up in a lot of the red herring teachings. Now, I want to bring some clarification. And I'm thankful because, uh, you know, sometimes pastor just opens his mouth and stuff comes out. Right? I mean, I got that bad habit. I got the Peter syndrome. Open mouth, insert foot. Right? You know, some of you suffer the same thing. We're, kin we're kindred spirits. I got you. We're, we're together. You hear my phrase a lot of times. Right? I'll say, I used to drink, chew, go with girls that do. I no longer drink, chew, or go with girls that do. Now, I say that being funny. But I say that also because it is a bit descriptive. Not that I went with girls that chew tobacco. Please don't assume that of my wife. But... <laughs> Now, her granny did sniff stuff stuff. I sniff snuff stuff. Do you sniff snuff stuff? Say that fast five times. On your way home. I sniff snuff stuff. Do you sniff snuff stuff? Don't do that. But I say that phrase a lot of times, and, and it's just a fun saying a little old-time preacher used to say, and I heard it, I think, oh, I, can, I can relate to that, because I did used to drink. I did used to chew. I used to do those things. And in my old man, in my old nature, that was just life, man. That's just where I operated. That's where I lived. And when Christ got a hold of me, there was a radical transformation. Now, look, that's surface-level stuff, guys. You understand this, right? All right? There was a deep change and transformation within my heart. There was repentance. There was a turn in my life by the grace of God, regenerated, drawn by the Spirit of God, awakened to, I need a Savior, I'm a sinner, and apart from the grace of God, I am dead. I am on my way to hell. And that realization hit me. And so there was this radical transformation in my life. And so 
those things that I identified as an old man, why would I even want to put that in my life, in my new walk? And so a lot of times you'll hear me use that phrase, and it always sometimes can be misunderstood, because here's what I'm not saying, and I want to be real clear. Here's, here's what I'm not saying. If you chew, <laughs> if you drink, and if you go with girls that do, that does not mean that you're not saved. Okay? That has nothing to do with your salvation. And even if you do those things and you're a believer and you love Jesus, that doesn't mean you're a bad Christian. <gasps> what, pastor? This guy gives you his testimony. And please realize, for me to drink would be dangerous. Because I know where I came from. And there go I, except for the grace of God. So it would not be wise for me to do so. Liberty, and I'm not talking about the school or the insurance. Liberty, liberty, liberty. Anyway. But I'm talking about liberty in Christ, right? Yes, we have liberty. We have freedom in Christ. All things are lawful. But not all things are profitable. And so as we look at what Paul's saying today, we need to be clear that our standing with God is not based upon our performance, what we do or what we don't do. That's not what makes you right with God. What makes you right with God is the death, burial, and resurrection of your Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. He has paid in full the crimes of our offense. Regardless of what we do or don't do, if you are born again, your sins, past, present, future, have all been atoned for. It's under the blood of Jesus Christ. And let no one judge you based upon your performance. Does that make sense? So when your pastor speaks these things, or when someone else maybe shares, we need, to, we need to be, well, I'm clarifying today, dare not think that I'm judging your standing before a holy God based upon what you do or don't do. Now, with that said, as believers, the whole writings of the New Testament are meant for our instruction. The Old Testament meant for our example. And we can look and read and learn and realize that because we've been born again, because we've been renewed, because we have a new heart and a new direction, there should be a natural outflow. There should be a desire for milk, like a newborn baby desires milk. And if, if, here's the big if, if we feed on that milk of the Word of God, then we will grow. And as we grow, there are things that I outgrow. Like this shirt I'm wearing this morning. <laughs> Sorry, I just had to get that out there because if I lose the jacket, you're going to go, oh, anyway. No, 
So get that one out of the way so there won't be a shock, right? And it's getting hot. I shouldn't have said that, bro, because it's coming off. Now y'all going to really talk about a red herring. I just divert. Sorry. Sorry. We, if we're not careful, we lose sight of what it means to be in Christ. If we're growing, then sometimes we outgrow things. True story. When I was brand new, born again believer, you know, trying to work things out in my walk, there was a lot of these things that I was doing. In fact, true story, I drank, chewed, and went with a girl that did half of those. <laughs> you figure out that anyway. And God was working on me. He was working on me. And the more he began to work on me, the more I began to wrestle in my spirit with certain things I needed to let go of. Not that it was going to make me draw closer to God. But the more I understood truth, the more the truth set me free from things that the flesh was wanting to bound me by. Does that make sense? And so... Again, I, I, I'm putting this out there because a lot of times words are lost in translation and sometimes we hear things that I know pastor, you know, I'm a pastor and so you see me as a pastor, which is really weird because every time I look in the mirror, I just see Jeremy, uh, saved by grace, praise God, who loves his church family and loves other believers and wants to try to encourage us all in this race together, you know. I always go back to it because I'll never run a race again, uh, even though Nate would, well, he knows I'm never going to run a race again. Uh, but I still go back to the time, you know, when Mark's running beside me. It was my first 5K, and he's there in Goldsboro, and he's finished five minutes before I ever even come close to the finish line. And he's there, come back halfway down the line, and he's like, go, Pastor, go, go. You know, he's, caring, he's just encouraging me to run, finish this race, finish it, finish it. And I talked to the seniors yesterday, and I used that as an illustration in this letter that I read to them from a, from a writer, and, and he had this ministry to senior saints, and he used the analogy of when you come to the end of the race, statistically, runners run faster. Now, I said, I'll have to ask Nate. I don't know if that's true. But I, I, I think, I know for me personally, I was running so fast, the guy at the end who, who did the commentating, because it goes where they got commentating, and, and as I'm coming through the finish line, he goes, wow, that guy should have been running that fast the whole time. It's like, really, dude? I'm about to throw up a lung. And you're making fun of me. But when we come to the end of the race, we see clear. There's a line. There's a finish line. My eyes are, are, are fixed. And so I'm going hard and I'm running hard. Guys, do you realize if we can kind of understand... When God captures our heart, when we recognize the grace of God, when we've been forgiven of sins that so easily trip us, because the things that we oftentimes surface level identify, those are just things that trip us. Those aren't things that keep us from getting closer to God necessarily. It's not things that, 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 that it definitely has nothing to do with salvation. But we are instructed as we grow to lay aside those things. And so please know that that's your pastor's heart when he says things like, Come on, man, you need to lay that down. You know what? You need to give that habit up. You don't, we'd sure love to see you at prayer meeting. Man, you know, with things like that, guys, that's not, that's not to down you. That's not to judge your spiritual standing. 
And I know Satan will shoot fiery darts at us a lot of times because he wants the message of grace to be confused. And we dare not let that message be confused. Grace alone. Faith alone. Christ alone. And there should be a growing and a natural outworking of what's happened in the inner man. If you take a notes, the outline for this remaining section of Scripture that we're in, and we will not get through probably maybe only part of the first point today, let no one judge you. That's what Paul says. He says, let no one judge you. And we'll talk about what that means. He says, let no one cheat you. Let no one cheat you. And his third exhortation, hold fast to the head. As my old preacher used to say, man, you get a bulldog bite and you hold on. I'm going to hold on, man. I'm looking. I'm, eyes fixed. Fix your eyes on Christ in the race. Let no one judge you. What's Paul talking about here? What do we see here in, in this situation? The false teachers were judging the saints. And they were passing judgment on whether they were truly spiritual or not. And the thing was, these false teachers that Paul is talking about, they were using, and this is the key, when we talk about Judge not lest ye be judged. Don't you judge me. You know, when we're throwing around those phrases, because the world loves to throw around those phrases, it's out of context. When Paul is writing here, and he's saying, let no one judge you, he's specifically talking about these false, vain philosophies that are empty. They hold no weight. And so they're using these unbiblical criterias. Specifically in this text, he's dealing specifically with three things. And we've talked about it. He's dealing with, in this text, he's dealing with legalism, mysticism, right? And ritualism. I think legalism kind of, and we could... Actually, let me back that up. I think the three things Paul's dealing with here would be Judaism. Scratch out your notes you just did there. Judaism, mysticism, and asceticism. I think those are the three things. Specifically, as we begin to unpack the end of chapter 2, as you understand these definitions, you'll see that's exactly what he's talking about. He's taking on specific false teaching that was there in Colossians. So for context's sake, let's, let's be clear on that. But it, don't let anybody judge you in legalism or ritualism or conformism. You can probably put all three of these under legalism. And I'm going to explain each of these. Because I think this is modern day a church. And again, growing up in the Bible Belt, most of us probably had a taste of this. And a lot of us still have a taste of this. Legalism in its purest form, the Pharisees would do. And again, if you didn't do A, B, and C, you weren't saved. Salvation was contingent upon you keeping the Mosaic law. Right? The Judaizers trying to affect the church, 
you've received Christ, that's fine, but you still need to be circumcised. He's just talked about in the previous verses about circumcision and baptism. And again, he's making it clear because, by the way, look at this word. Everybody back to the text. Look at the word, um, verse 16, that first word, so. ESV translates it what? Therefore? Is that what it says? Anybody have ESV? It says therefore, right? So whenever we read a therefore, what's the therefore, therefore? So he's surmising things that have gone on previously in the text. You've read those things previously to this point. So then he says, so, or therefore. So again, what is he, what is he reflecting back to? He's reflecting back to verse 8. Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the tradition of men. There's legalism, tradition of men over truth of God. Anytime someone sets standards that are not according to thus saith the Lord, that can be a form of legalism. For example, some of you grew up in the same type of church as we grew up in. If you ladies did not wear a skirt or a dress, you talk about being judged. You'd walk in the room and you'd feel the judgment, right? True story. Brand new Christian. At the church, I'm young, I'm, I'm, vibrant, I'm growing, I'm hungry, I'm excited about the things of Jesus. And don't get me wrong, love the folks, love the pastor, love what I got there. But I'll never forget, there was a neighborhood kid I grew up with. We were best friends since 10 years old, all the way through school, man. Just, you know, and I was praying for Danny. I was praying that Danny would come to know the Lord. You know, and, and, and just and been inviting him to church. And just, you know, really wanted to see Danny come. And one Sunday morning, after Sunday school, we had this big glass foyer. And we'd all stand out there, the young adults, college and career. Got it going on like Donkey Kong. I like it, group! Hey, I used, man, I used to be younger too once, so did they. I'm just saying. Right? We were talking about this seniors yesterday. We're excited about that age group in this church and what God's doing. But I remember one time I was in my mid-20s. And I remember standing there in the front of that church with our whole big group of young, excited adult believers. And, and, and I look out and there at the glass, I see coming through the parking lot, my friend Danny. Dude, God was... God had answered my prayer. I was excited. I've been praying for this guy to come. And so, of course, like when you're excited about something, you want to tell the people around you, right, about something exciting. You do that, right? That's why y'all share Jesus daily, right? Anyway, I said, hey, Danny. This is Danny. This is the guy I've been asking y'all to pray for. He's coming. And no sooner than that come out of my mouth, he's walking in the door, and Danny's got on shorts. And this young lady says, oh, no, he's wearing shorts. <laughs> exactly how I looked at her in Peter Syndrome. Yeah, isn't that great that he came to church? <laughs> and I went over and gave Danny a hug. He heard her. He heard her say that. And that was... I think maybe Danny might have come back maybe one more time after that. 
Now, praise the Lord, I saw Danny when I spoke at uh, Asheboro a couple of years ago when I did a homecoming, and I think he's doing fine and uh, loving the Lord. So, in spite of that situation, to God be the glory, right? But guys, that's, that's a form of, of legalism. Now, she wouldn't say that, you know, if you, if you don't keep the rules, you're, you, you know, you're not going to heaven. So we need to define there's a difference between a pure legalism and a legalistic attitude. And so I think a lot of Christians, born again on the way to heaven, may have a legalistic attitude at times. And I think any of us can have that form, right? Because we're all hypocrites and we all fall short of the glory of God and we all miss the mark. And so at any given time, we can all have a little bit of that in us, right? Ritualism is, is this attitude or this practice of it's, it's ritualistic. Oh, well, we didn't do three songs this morning. We only did two. And they moved the offering to the end of the church service. The world's coming to an end. Anyway. Sometimes we get so ritualistic in our churches that if you dare move a piece, man, we have a meltdown. All of my OCD people said, amen. <laughs> Ritualism is, again, this, uh, if we're not careful, a religious practice. We sort of kind of just go through these motions and it becomes ritualistic. A lot of the liturgical churches uh, sometimes are, are, are categorized and fall into this. And then there's conformism. Conformism is this cookie-cutter Christianity. You know, and, and I could throw some names around, and some of you would probably know, but we've all seen, you know, the certain circles where you got to look a certain way, you got to have a certain translation, you know, and, and if you're not conforming to their expectations, then something's wrong spiritually. These are all, I think, types of legalism and legalistic attitude. Uh, and if we're not careful, uh, we, can, we can fall prey to these things. But what does the Word of God say? Christ has blotted out the IOU against us. We're no longer under the curse of the law. Galatians 3.13, but we are under grace and should so walk. I think this brings a balance, guys. There is a balance in, in, in our walk before God. No, doing certain things doesn't earn us right standing with God. Doing certain things and living out certain lifestyles doesn't mean we're saved or not saved. But the Scripture does communicate to us, therefore, if anyone is in Christ... They're a new creation, and old things pass away, and behold, all things are becoming new. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. When we take a proper focus on who Christ is, when we take a, fo a proper focus on what Christ has done, when we take a proper focus on what it cost because of the sins that so easily trip me, then there's an internal motivation to lay these things down. Right? And that's the only motivation that's going to work. I do a lot of counseling. I deal with a lot of stuff. 
And I can tell you, time and time again, especially people who grow up in the church, they hear conformism, ritualism, potential legalism, because they hear it and see it with a perspective of externalism. When what's really being communicated is, guys, let Jesus capture your heart, put your focus on Christ alone, and let the red herrings of your life fall to the wayside. Live out your faith. You trust faith to save you from an eternal hell, but you don't trust faith in Christ's grace to to, to sanctify you. You don't believe that His grace is sufficient to take care of the circumstances. We don't think that His grace is sufficient for the problems or the struggles or the battles. Oh, well, I believe that. Well, you say you believe that, but that has to be birthed out. I always go back to Chandler. I'm picking on you for the sake of Chandler. He's like, oh, great. When Chandler was in, in school, and, he, and I don't know if you remember this or not. I think I used this. I'm, I'm that old guy now. I've turned so old. It's like I use the same illustration. It's like, you know, it's like, yeah, it's only the 10th time this month we've heard this one. But I remember I had Chandler come up in the front of the school, which he loved. <laughs> he didn't. Uh, but I, I remember I was saying, okay, and in like three seconds, I'm going to throw this basketball at your head. Three, two, one. And I did a chest pass, and he caught it, which I was like, hallelujah, he caught it. Because that would have been really awkward explaining to his mama why I hit her boy in the face with a basketball <laughs> in front of everybody. And the point was, I asked Chandler, do you believe I'm going to throw this ball? Yeah, I believe it. Okay, you know, I'm telling you this, I'm going to do this. Do you believe this? Yes, I believe you're going to do this. So three, two, one, I followed through with action. But more importantly, he knew me well enough to know that I was going to throw it. And his belief resulted in action, which was a protection, which was help, right? Because that's not, oh, that's not very good. He put his belief, his faith into action. Guys, the illustration is such that describes, we can say all day long, yes, I believe this. Yeah, 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 I've heard that. Yeah, 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 I know that. Yeah, yeah, I believe that. But here's the kicker. Real belief results in action, right? Don't let a politician ever tell you, well, that's my faith and that's separate. That has nothing to influence my policies. That's a a fib, man. Everything you believe is seen in how you live. You want to know what a person believes? Just listen. Just listen. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, right? Watch. Watch. People will live out what they believe. If I believe it's going to rain, and I've got an umbrella, and it's going to pour buckets, I'm probably going to take that umbrella and use it. Now, some of us don't because we're (laughs) hard-headed and whatever. So my point is, there's a balance in understanding the grace of God and how it's lived out. 
We don't come first to the external and then go to the grace needed. The grace needed provides the transformation that's played out in the external. Does that make sense? All right, so Galatians 3.3, are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? So again, keeping the rules, guys, isn't going to do it. So, so you were saved by Jesus. You were born again. You put your faith and trust in His finished work. But you're going to now do a baptism? You're going to now do um, circumcision? You're going to now do something ritualistic or legalistic to somehow now that's going to get you closer to God? Or that's going to somehow take you to the next level of salvation? No. Are you so foolish that that having begun by the Spirit, born again, faith, again, look at Colossians. What does Paul said here? Um, let's go back and look. Um, where he talks about uh, verse 8, are you therefore received? Oh, as you therefore, notice that's verse. Yes, I brought them today. It's verse 6. It looked like an 8, thank you very much. <laughs> verse 6, As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. I mean, that's it, man. There's your glue. That's what holds it together. There's your balance. Sorry. I'm, I'm being like my son now. My, my son walks around the house like this, and I always just look at him and I go, Sorry, son, I was, I was being you. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. How did you receive Jesus? Was it because you got dunked in the tank? That's when I got Jesus. Woo! Well, you better stay in the pool, man. Because the second you get out of it, you're in trouble. Right? Well, I got Jesus when I got circumcised. Well, wrap it up. Stay in the hospital, bro, because you ain't going nowhere. God bless you. No, why, why are we so foolish to think, and this is what Paul's saying to these people again, because there's false teachers trying to tell them. And by the way, they weren't just, I don't know if at this point, and there's some little disagreement, I don't say this disagreement, some, some scholarly debate as to were they actually in the church, permeating it, or were they kind of in the community on the outside and trying to get in? You know what I'm saying? Either way, the truth still is the same. You're not going to earn salvation and you're not going to draw closer to God by your own efforts, period. Are you so foolish having begun by the Spirit? You're not being perfected. Uh, are you now being perfected by the flesh? No, you began when you received Christ by faith. So how should you walk in Him, church? Say it loud. How should you walk in Him? By what? Faith. By faith, if you trusted in Christ's atonement work to satisfy God's justice and judgment on eternity, why can you not trust Him by faith to take care of your marital problem? Why can't you trust Him with faith to take care of your children's problem? Why can't you trust Him by faith to take care of that habit that's so tripping you up? But it's just hard, Pastor, you just don't know. Yes, I do know. 
I ate enough carrots and celery to know, I know it doesn't show, but in those days, the struggle is real. And again, laying those things down doesn't make you any better of a Christian or worse of a Christian. You hearing me? But what Paul is going to get at, and what we're going to get at if I can ever get to it, is all things are lawful, but not all things are profitable. And specifically in the area of witness and testimony, we should be mindful of the things of Christ. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Who do not walk according to the flesh. How do you walk, church? According to the Spirit. So see, it is about a surrender. It is about a yield. It is about a a laying down of my life and my fleshly desires and my will to uh, not my will be done, thy will be done. Let this mind be in you which is in Christ Jesus. Hey, I can do this, but you know what? The Scriptures put responsibility on me to choose wisely in this. Maturing Christians, growing Christians, and I say this one often, please hear me. The difference between an average day Christian and a Christian who is desiring to grow, because we can all get stagnant, we can all hit a plateau, right? And we do oftentimes throughout our journey. The difference, though, is a maturing Christian should seek not that which is right or wrong. Was this sin? Can I do this? Well, drinking's not a sin, then I can do it. Or whatever, fill in the blank. It's not a sin, I can do it. And that's that when I illustrated the other week, living on the edge. We want to see how close I can. I can stand here, right? I'm okay right here. Now, if I go here, oh, I can't go there. And that's where we try to find it. When the reality is I'm a lot safer back here, walking in the Spirit, So, again, where am I at in my journey? Where am I at in this race? There's no condemnation. So I can't let, don't let anybody judge you that says, hey, if you're not doing A, B, or C, then you must not be right. That's not what we're saying. But a maturing Christian ask is not is this right or wrong a maturing christian ask is this best is this best sure i could do this but is it best well no it's probably not best i want to do it (laughs) i mean i'm okay to do it it's not necessarily wrong to do it Well, is it best? No, because if I do that, I could see this, you know, I'm a children's church leader and I know the kids looking at me and they may see that as permission to do something that, mm, yeah, that could really cause some issues. Yeah, yeah, the best thing probably is, yeah, probably just just not do that. That's part of the real battle, isn't it? Do not put yourself under rules and regulations which God has not ordained. If you think it is right for you to abstain from certain drinks, do so. But do not act thus simply because others do so. If you abstain from certain meats because they have been offered to idols, 
and the consciences of others might be offended if you partook of them? Do not act thus as though it would save you. Do not make yourself subject to the judgment of other men, for Christ is your lawgiver and Lord. Charles Spurgeon. He brings up a good point of Scripture. Meat offered to idols. Isn't that the motivation? What did Paul say in that context? Hey, if I know eating this meat, yeah, I can eat this meat. Sure, I can eat this meat. There's nothing wrong with this. This is good meat. In fact, it's cheaper. This is the yellow ticket down at Food Line, man. That's where we shop. I don't know about y'all. Y'all can pay that high dollar stuff up at Harris Teeter. Me and my wife are going to Food Line getting a yellow ticket. I'm just saying. Now, if that's an offense, we'll go shopping when you're not there. <laughs> Right? We're going to keep it behind closed doors. I ain't going to let you know about it because I don't want to offend you. You see the wisdom in that, guys? Again, pastor ain't saying you're not spiritual because you do these things and so therefore you, you know, going to have this turmoil in your life. No, well, I am trying to encourage us to think through and, 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 and work through for conscience sake, sometimes it is about, is this going to offend my brethren? Paul says, these are externals, but you have true spirituality already resident within. For you have Christ within you, the hope of glory. And he's the only one who's truly spiritual, right? Because <laughs> I'm not, and trust me, you ain't either. But Jesus is, hallelujah. And He is the only one who is truly spiritual. Now, put this truth into practice and walk by faith in the Spirit of Christ. And He will daily set you apart from the world and unto Himself. I mean, that's pretty good stuff, isn't it? John MacArthur, you know, can't go through a sermon without quoting Spurgeon and John MacArthur, right? I mean, it's just, anyway. Let no one judge you. I'll, I'll read the quote here in a second. Salva I, I, I want, this, is a, this isn't John MacArthur here. Salvation isn't the reward for obedience. Salvation is the reason for obedience. That's, um, I can't think of his first name. His last name's Hurt. <laughs> I can remember that one. Ouch, because that hurt. No, but this is good. Salvation isn't the reward for obedience. Salvation is the reason for obedience. Dude, let that sink in for a second. If you, if you fell asleep, wake up on that one. That's the, that's the difference right there. Isn't it? There's your balance. If you love me, You'll what? Keep my commandments. Not man's traditions. Not man's legalism. Not man's ritualistic conformism. But the actual thoughts, actions, commands that God has spelled out in, in His writings. Yeah. That's, look, when I recognize who Christ is and what He's done for me and where, what He saved me from, oof. Yes, thank you, Lord. 
That's the reason I want to be obedient. I love you, Lord. Jesus doesn't say, if you obey my commandments, I will love you. Instead, he first washes the feet of the disciples and then says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. All of our doing is only because of what he has first done for us. Do you realize I cannot love unless he first loves me? You cannot love unless he first loves you. Got news for you, he loves you. And he demonstrated that love on the cross at Calvary and while we were still in our sins. Christ loved us, died for us. Gave his life for us. Gave his life for us. So, um, looks good, don't it? <laughs> I mean, really, that's all I got to say about the difference right there. Hallelujah. I'm glad I'm a New Testament saint. <laughs> some bacon and some shrimp. <laughs> you know what? <laughs> Woo! Man. So look what Paul does here. And again, he, he, there's no doubt he has in direct sight these Judaizers. And so here in chapter 2, he says, Let no one judge you in food. Right? Alright? We know Scripture tells us in the New Testament, Paul wrote in 1 Timothy 4, 3-4, All food is good and from a good God. Right? Hallelujah. You said it before me, brother, sister. I probably ain't going to deny it. I'm just saying, unless it's that fish stew. And I'm still going to show grace. I'll take two bites. You'll never know. I'll throw it in the ditch, all right? <laughs> but anyway. <laughs> all food is good and from a good God. Amen. And it's not to be denied, by the way, if it's been prayed for, right? We receive it with a thankful heart. Now, but if someone is offended, Scripture does tell us then we should abstain from it. We definitely shouldn't flaunt it and put it on Facebook. Can I get an amen? I just put it out there, folks. I'm just saying. Seriously. Is this best? Is this best that I air my dirty laundry on Facebook? Is this best that I take a picture of me boozing it up with my friends and put it on Facebook? Is this good that I put up me eating this monkey brain because I'm in another country? I'm just saying it might not be best, right? I'm not saying it's necessarily sin, though it could be. I mean, it depends on, you know, did you murder the monkey illegally? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. But guys, is it going to be offensive? And the answer very well may be yes. It very well may be offensive. Then don't do it. That's what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 8 9. If I think this could wound or hurt my brother or sister, then don't do it. Yeah, but you don't, I don't, there's no but in that. Except for me. And I'm probably the biggest but in that. And we'll leave it there. Moving on. So what about that? Then he says, drink. Now it's interesting, this word. Pulsus means the action of drinking or what one drinks. It's a drink. But again, think about what's being laid out here. Who's Paul got in mind? He's got the Judaizers. Dietary laws, dietary restrictions of the Mosaic law, right? There were certain things. And again, what was the purpose and intent of those things? So you've got to understand culture. You've got to understand context. This isn't just throwing it out there to say, hey, you shouldn't be eating McDonald's. It's bad for you. You know, that's not what... Look, 
again, context, what was the separation of those dietary laws? What was the purpose of those things? And when it comes to the drink offerings, what, well, again, we're talking some ritualistic stuff. And these Judaizers were trying to say, you need to stop, you need to start, you need to not touch, you need to touch. Even the Jerusalem Council weighed in in some of this confusion and seemingly puts forth a bit of a compromising one foot in, one foot out. Go back and read it yourself. You eating meat with blood still in it? I like my steak rare. <laughs> I'm just saying. Look at it for yourself. There are only three uses, though, of this word posis here in the New Testament. Now, that's very interesting. When you see a word only used three times, you might want to pay attention. John 6, 55, For my flesh, Jesus says, is true food, and my blood is true drink. Ew, gross. Those Christians are cultish. And that was some of the rumor going around, right? Because people misunderstand words. People will go out of this sermon today, I can guarantee you, misunderstanding my words today. I didn't say that. That's not what was said. For my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink, Jesus said. Romans 14, 17. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Who doesn't want righteousness? Who doesn't want peace? Who doesn't want joy in their life? Tammy, I almost ran to you, but that's not Jesus. She, you know, sorry about that. <laughs> Guys, this is the point. Christ. Christ. There is nothing that enters a man from outside which can defile him. But the things which come out of him, those are the things that defile a man. I mean, that's, that says it, doesn't it? What comes out of a man? Murder. Huh? Yeah. Man, I can't stand it. It makes me so mad. Oh, I'm so mad at you. I can't stand you. That's murder, man. That's a murderous heart. That's a venomous heart. If you've got that feeling towards somebody, guys, please take it to the cross. Please, you are in a prison, and God wants to set you free. And whom the Son sets free is free indeed, right? Lay it down at the cross. I'm struggling with, with some kind of adulterous thoughts continually. Pastor, you just don't know. My mind's flooded all the time. I, I'm, just, I'm, just, I'm, I'm just caught up in this trap. And I can't walk out. No, I'm sorry. That was terrible. I shouldn't have gone there. Um, that was that red herring. You saw it? We just went out this. Anyway, back on subject. But seriously, though, if you're struggling, whatever your struggle is, and I don't mean to make light, because seriously, guys, whatever, whatever your struggle is, Take it to the cross. Lay it at the cross. And walk by faith. Well, this is hard, Pastor. Yes, it is. You're absolutely right. Take up your cross daily and follow me. But what we do is we take off, and I know y'all won't, but I ain't. We take off our jacket, we take off our robe of whatever whatever our sin is, whatever it is, and we lay it at the cross and we say, 
I did it, Pastor. I did it. Thank you, Jesus. I laid it. I laid it down at the cross. I just, just a little bit. Well, let me just put the other. I'm back in it again. Okay. Guys, we, we keep picking it back up. I mean, we do. We pick it back up. And then we, we stumble. We trip. I just don't know why. I, keep, I don't know why this keeps happening. I don't know why this keeps happening. Lay it down at the cross. And take on the robe that Jesus wants to robe you in. His righteousness. His perfection. Walk by faith. Well, I don't feel like... I don't care what you feel like. The fact is, Jesus Christ is who He claimed to be, and when He makes you a promise, He cannot lie, and His grace is sufficient. It's sufficient for whatever you're facing. No matter how hard, His grace is sufficient. What about these festivals, these feasts? They're listed in Leviticus 23.2. It says, Speaks to the sons of Israel and say to them, The Lord's appointed times which you shall proclaim as holy convocations. My appointed times are these. And in Leviticus 23, he goes through the list of Sabbath, Passover, unleavened bread, first fruits, weeks, atonement, booths, etc. So again, Paul is dealing with these Judaizers. It's interesting because in that Colossians text, when you see that there, so let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival. And then here's a jump back Jordan coming up, new moon, better stay tuned for me. Here we go. Jesus is the one to whom all the Old Testament feasts pointed to, right? We understand that, right? He's the fulfillment of all the Old Testament feasts. So when you're reading the Old Testament and you see you know, all these feasts, unleavened bread, booths of tabernacle, all these things, guys, those are pointing you to Christ. Those are the shadow. Christ is the substance. All right, we've been talking about this. 1 Corinthians 5, 7, here's proof in the New Testament. Clean out the old leaven so that you may be a new lump. Just as you were in fact unleavened, for Christ, our Passover, has also been sacrificed. You see, He's the fulfillment of the Passover feast. We don't keep doing ritualistic Passovers. He is our Passover. He is our booth. He is our uh, unleavened bread. He is all those things that those festivals that, that were celebrating the Old Testament, that these holy days throughout the year. And by the way, look at the, look at the progression in this argument that he's laying out here, that Paul's laying out in this scripture. Real quick, because I'm wrapping it up. We're getting there. Hang tight. We're almost near the finish line. There's the finish line. I see it. Uh, bacon on the other side. Anyway, we're, we're moving forward. And notice what he says here. Let no one judge you in food or drink in regarding a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. So here's what he's doing. In the context, he's saying these yearly celebrations, these monthly celebrations, new moon, these weekly things, Sabbath, which we're going to talk about next week. What about the Sabbath? Do Christians, should we still honor the Sabbath? Is it a moral law or is it a ceremonial law? Well, wait a minute, it's in the Ten Commandments. That's moral law, right? Remember the Sabbath day, keep it holy. All, the, uh, all of those Ten Commandments are reiterated 
in the New Testament, and therefore we know <laughs> killing is still uh, a good thing not to do, right? Murder is murder. Murder is still not a good, you know, adultery is still, still not a good thing to do, right? But what about the Sabbath? Is it ceremonial? Is it moral? We're going to look at that. It's going to be an interesting study. But when it comes to the new moon, here's what God thinks about keeping the new moon and without obedience from the heart. Isaiah 1.13 says it this way, Stop bringing meaningless offerings. Your incense is detestable to me. New moons, Sabbaths, convocations, I cannot bear your worthless assemblies. Whew! That's God's attitude towards legalism, ritualism, conformism, mysticism, asceticism, anything that's Jesus plus, works-based religion. That's God's attitude. Church, what are we bringing We'll talk about the Sabbath next week. I'll leave it there. Where are you at this morning? In the race? Where are you at in the journey? What do you say you believe? Are we just in a performance? Put on a smile? Put on an act? Come to church? Play our role? While on the inside... It's turmoil. Put your eyes on Christ. Lay it down at the cross and take the grace that is sufficient for your journey. And live it out. The just shall live by faith. It's a daily walk. It's a daily struggle. And yes, the struggle's real. But the answer is sufficient. The grace is sufficient. And Christ is more than able to deliver you through this valley. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your truth is powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. And Lord, um, help us to recognize and understand the point Paul is trying to drive home here is that it's, it's not that others can look and, and, and say, hey, well, you've got to do A, B, and C, or, or you're really not there yet. Um, Lord, that's not the point. You've secured our salvation, you alone. You've done the work. And everything that we need for life in godliness, you've provided. That's what you said. So either you're telling us the truth or you're lying. And Lord, we know you cannot lie. And so we look to you with trust this morning. We look to you in faith this morning. And I don't know everything that people are dealing with here today. You do. You know the heart of every man. And the struggle's real. But Lord, the answer is real. You are real. And your desire is that we would come to you as we would our, a father. Would an would a evil father say to their child when they ask for a piece of bread, oh yeah, here's a rock, go chew on it. Would they give them a snake? No. So how can then an earthly man who's evil can give their children a good gift and yet we would somehow think by coming to you with the problems, not having the answers, that you're somehow going to turn us away or that you're somehow not going to give us what we need? 
Lord, we know that's not the case. We know you're a good God and you are a rewarder of those who seek you. We know that, that you, uh, uh, all good gifts come from our Father above. And so, Lord, we look to you this morning in our moments, in our circumstance, in our race. You know what I need. I lack wisdom. I'm asking, give us your wisdom, please. And then, Lord, let me hear it. But more importantly, let me heed it. You leave the responsibility of man to work this out in our daily step. And you said it's a delight to hear that your children walk in truth. May we walk in truth this day for your name's sake, for your glory, and for our good. In Jesus' name. Amen.